This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is a new podcast to the Inside Carolina podcast lineup. Up in the rafters, where 2017 ACC Player of the Year national champion Justin Jackson and myself will be talking about all things Carolina basketball. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina, a they have everything that you could possibly want the t-shirts the jerseys the hats you name it they will probably have it and it's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni you can visit them in person on franklin street or online at johnny t-shirt.com and don't forget inside carolina premium subscribers save 10 percent off their orders It's up in the rafters. I'm Taylor Vipolish, joined as always by my guy, Justin Jackson, now of the Phoenix Suns. Justin, it's been a hectic and chaotic past couple of weeks for you, where you sign a 10 day with the Celtics, then you sign a 10 day um, with the Phoenix Suns, and you're traveling back and forth and trying to get back into the groove of the NBA schedule, all, all while, you know, dealing with fatherhood for the first time. How's how's this past month been for you? Yeah, man, it's been uh it's been interesting. Um, like you said, I signed the first 10 day with the Celtics. Uh, and then three days in I enter protocol because I test positive. So then it's the whole ordeal of trying to get out of protocol of all the testing and what you have to be. Uh and then the Suns called and they want to do a 10 day. Um and you know, so I went out there, I was able to be at home for, you know, a day or two, and then I had to head out to Phoenix. So it's been crazy, man. Obviously, I miss my family, for sure. Uh, but hopefully, it's kind of a, uh, you know, I consider it like a short term sacrifice for a long term gain. So we'll see. Now that you're in Phoenix, has the, uh, what's it been like reconnecting with somebody like Cam Johnson, who was really good friends with your good friends in Kenny Williams and Luke May and I think all Carolina fans, when they kind of think of Justin Jackson and Cam Johnson, it's almost like the Spider-Man meme because you guys were such elite wings for Carolina with that shooting ability. Um, so what's it been like kind of reconnecting with Cam? It's been cool, man. Um, obviously, Cam uh, is a great player. All the fans know that, but he's an even better guy. So it's been cool to kind of connect with him a little bit more. I was able to connect with him some, like right after I left and he went in North Carolina because, like you said, he's close with um some of my buddies from back from back at school so um but it's been good to be able to reconnect and have kind of like a familiar face um you know going into a new situation that kind of thing so it's been good it's been a chaotic but you know hopefully uh 
a prosperous past couple of weeks for you getting back into the NBA for Carolina. It's kind of been an up and down season so far, but a lot more ups, I would say, than downs. But the downs have kind of been um, pretty bad when they've been there. But the, over the past week or a little over a week now, UNC splits two conference games, losing on the road at Notre Dame and then beating UVA at home. Starting with that Virginia game, historically, what has it normally been about Tony Bennett's teams that have given UNC such a hard time? And then what was UNC able to do successfully Saturday to get a double-digit win over the Cavaliers who had won, I think, seven straight games in the series? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the, the two biggest things that Virginia always causes problems with um, is – uh, their pack line defense packs the paint a whole lot. Um, and so as far as the strength of UNC in the past years, it's always been like our bigs down low. And so it's always caused problems because it just clogs up the paint for them. Um, and then, too, something that they do that not a ton of schools do is they like to double the post whenever the posts get the ball down low. Um, and so if you don't have a big that, you know, can make good decisions out of that double team, then it can be tough. Uh, but I think what you saw, um, for one, I think it was pretty obvious, and it's, you know, no disrespect to Tony Bennett and, and that Virginia team, um, but I think our team was just more talented than the Virginia um, team that was out there that night. Uh, but then you also saw how dominant Armando can be down low, you know, whenever he gets the touches, when he decides that he's going to go make a quick move or go get the ball off the glass, Um and then everything else just feeds off of how aggressive he is. And so I think that was a good sign to see them kind of solidify that the game down low and then everybody else just feeding off of that. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of how they were able to dissect that pack line defense and kind of get after Virginia a little bit. If I tell you that, you know, blank player is going to have his best game for UNC who do you think that would be to give Carolina the best chance to win? Because I think you could go uh, a couple of different ways with, with that answer. And when whoever is playing their best basketball. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think the two main people would be Caleb Love and Armando. I think those two guys are the main guys that um, if they have a really good game, then North Carolina has a good chance to win the game. Um, You know, I think, to be honest, I think, um, I think, Armando is is the main guy in terms of when he gets touches down low and is able to attack and be aggressive. Um, I think it opens things up a lot more for everybody on the outside. Um, but I think those two guys are the two guys that, you know, when they're trying to make a run or when they're trying to, you know, when they're in a tight game, those two guys have to be the ones to to kind of spearhead it. Yeah, the thing I noticed with Caleb Love, it's like when when he's scoring, he's at a, a different level when when he's engaged on the defensive side of the ball and his shots come a lot easier. But, you know, when he does have a hard time scoring, you know, you see other parts of his game kind of dip. Is there anything you could do as a teammate to try to get him to not really play harder, I guess, but just play a more complete style of game, even when the shots aren't falling for him? Um, I mean, you, you can just from encouraging, talking to him, but I think a lot of it has to come from himself. And I think it's honestly, it's just kind of like a young player's mentality, right? Like guys, they want to see the ball go through the basket. They want to score. When you score, you get, 
energy on the other end. Like you don't even feel tired on defense anymore when you score. Um, but I think it's just a maturity of, okay, if I'm not scoring, I know we have three or four other guys on the team that can pick up that load. And so now I have to do whatever I can to help our team in whatever way it might be, whether it's defensively, whether it's, you know, making plays for other people on offense or whatever it might be. I have to be able to do that even when it's not my night. Um, and so it's just, honestly, it's just a maturity. It's a maturity thing, man. And I think you've seen Caleb Love mature a ton from freshman to sophomore year, um, but every player can continue to get better. And I think that's kind of the next thing for him mentally is just, okay, this isn't, you know, hopefully I can get it going, but if it's not my night, I'm going to go affect the game in other ways. This North Carolina team has been, um, drastically different on both ends of the court where on, according to Kempom, North Carolina is 16th in the country for efficiency, but 79th defensively. And you have to note that that's a lot better than when we first started this podcast and we were first starting to talk about North Carolina when they were in like the one hundreds, but one area this team has struggled defensively is guarding on the ball screens, specifically that Notre Dame game where even on the switches, they're giving up uncontested looks where you would almost think the opposite of that when, when you switch and you should have somebody right kind of there. What do you think the issue is there and how do you kind of improve on that? Um, I think it's, it's tough from game to game, a game like Notre Dame, they had a big man who could pick and pop cause issues with that stretching the floor. Um, so I think it's a lot of just knowing the personnel, right? Like in a pick and roll, if the point guard isn't a shooter, then maybe you slide under on the pick and roll so that you don't cause issues with, you know, the point guard going downhill, then you've got the pick and pop, that kind of stuff happening. Um, but I think honestly, it's just a matter of um, communicating the pick and roll early. Um, I think a lot of times you kind of see like guys just kind of get lost. Like once the guy comes off the pick and roll, you know, everybody focuses in on the ball so much that, you know, that's when you see the guy pop in or you might see a cut or, you know, they kind of get whatever they want. Um, and so I think it's just communicating it early and everybody kind of knowing how they're supposed to be playing the pick and roll. You know, I don't really know how Coach Davis has a plan it, but they have to know how they're supposed to be playing it and work that, you know, how they do it every single day. Um, and once again, like Notre Dame, that was a, that's a, it's a tough kind of game whenever you've got bigs that can really stretch the floor. Like when you think about with North Carolina, you've got like a Dawson and a Brady. Like those guys cause issues whenever they do pick and pop situations and that kind of things for the other team. So playing against a Notre Dame team that has a guy, you know, who can stretch the floor and knock down shots from the outside as a big, um, you just have to know, you know, what you're supposed to be doing going into the game and you got to stick to that. Despite the lows of the Kentucky game and then even further back, the the Tennessee game, one thing we've been kind of pretty consistent with is the amount of talent on this team. North Carolina should be able to contend in the ACC. And right now there's only four teams in the ACC with one loss. It's Miami, it's Notre Dame, it's Duke, it's UNC. So Carolina is tied for first in the conference. When you're going through the season, is that something you're kind of conscious of knowing that maybe the conference is down and you have to maximize every opportunity you get out there and you don't really have too much room to slip up knowing that there aren't that many ranked teams in front of you? I mean, I think honestly, and I don't even think from their standpoint, you, they look at it as like the ACC is down this year. I think it's more of just like, that's the importance of conference play. 
right? Like you play all these games before conference play starts and you might lose a game here or there. It might affect like your national rankings, but like at the end of the day, the real games start once that ACC play starts and every single game counts. Like you can see guys, you know, you'll, they'll, they'll probably be, you know, four or five upsets from teams that are at the bottom of the ACC that might be the team, you know, that's at the top of the ACC. Um, you know, Miami just beat Duke, who obviously Miami is pretty good, but nobody expected Miami to beat them. Uh, but it just shows how intense conference play gets, how much more those teams have scouted you, um, and just how much more important those games are each and every each and every time you step on the court, right? And so I think they have to take that mentality every single time because if you take that every single game, you don't ever look down upon a team. You don't ever – like look at the number one team and you're like, man, like we've really got our work cut out. Like you take every single game as, okay, this is another game. This is an important game. Like let's go out here and give our best. Then, you know, I think at the end of conference play, they could see themselves definitely being at the top of it. This team is 11 and four, three and one in conference play through 15 games. Where does this team have the biggest advantage over other teams in your opinion? I mean, to be honest, I think it's just, it starts with Armando, right? Like when I look at all of the teams that they've played, there hasn't even a Purdue team who has some, some big, some big fellas down there. Like there's, there hasn't been any bigs who can really keep him off the glass, keep him from dominating inside. Um, And so I think that's where it starts. I think that's where it starts, even though their system is a little different than years past where things might not run through Armando every single play. I think he has to touch the ball multiple times and he's got to be able to be involved um, for them to have success. Because when he starts doing that, then teams have to make adjustments to try to help their big to guard him. So then whenever that happens, it opens up Caleb Love being able to knock down shots or get downhill. It opens up stuff for Brady, for Dawson when he comes back. Like it, it opens things up for everybody to be able to get more open looks and more, more attacks. And so I think that's where it starts for them. Yeah. I think a lot of the frustration that comes from UNC fans is that they, they see a team that is a lot more talented than some of these teams they are losing to like Notre Dame, where this, this team, it almost seems like they don't understand their identity where Armando Baycott only gets four field goal attempts against Notre Dame in the second half despite finishing with 21 points and 17 rebounds. And it seemed like the Irish really had no kind of answer for him. How do you kind of get that across to your teammates that playing through somebody like Baycott not only brings the best team success, but also it's going to open up a lot of other things for them. I think honestly, it's probably a lot of in film. Um, I think that the coaches might talk to them about, you know, when you see things on film, it kind of opens your eyes a little bit to, um, you know, okay, we just went five possessions straight without without giving Armando the ball, and let's look at the spacing on the floor, right? Like, if Armando's not touching it, then they're able to just guard their own man. But then whenever you get the ball into Armando, the way that things break down because they feel like they got to help on him or, you know, whatever it might be, the spacing is way different. And I think in film, I think, is where you'll see it the most but I think they just have to feel it out too. You know, like we went through the same thing. My, I guess it would have been my sophomore year with Bryce, right? Like Bryce was freaking one of the best players in the country. And there were a few games in there where 
um, you know, he would start off, start off hot. And then we just didn't feed him as much as we should have. And, you know, we, you know, for instance, the Duke game, we talk about this like multiple times. I mean, he had crazy stats, but he still barely touched the ball in the second half. And so when you look at that game, you know, for us, it's a matter of feeling out, okay, hold on. Bryce hasn't touched the ball or done anything on the offensive end in a while. Like we need to get it down to him. And then once you start feeling that out, then you start kind of seeing how things change once you do start feeding him and once you start running things through Armando. So it's just a matter of them kind of getting used to, you know, what their roles might be or, you know, kind of how the offense plays whenever you play through him. And once they figure that out, I think I think they'll be fine. You mentioned how you can normally figure that out through the film sessions. Is there ever an instance that you can think of when somebody wasn't getting the ball enough in a game where um, maybe a coaching staff or players were a little more vocal and trying to get somebody uh, more touches in game adjustments? For sure, man. Um, my freshman year, uh, my freshman year, um, I will never forget. There was multiple times at halftime, bro, where we would go in and we were maybe not playing very well or whatever. And they would have a few clips. And I'll never forget, it was Coach Davis. He was an assistant at the time, but it was Coach Davis. And he would look at all of us and he would look at Marcus. Marcus Marcus is the main guy. I'd make fun of him all the time. He would look at Marcus and he'd be like, you know, that, that guy's a pretty good player, you know. And it was obviously the season after he went crazy his sophomore year. And he's like, Let, that guy's a pretty good player. We need to get him open. Like, we need to get him touches. And that happened like multiple times in the game. And we joke about it, but it was, it was true. Whenever, you know, when you're, when your main players aren't involved or aren't involved as much as they should be, um, there's gotta be like a feeling of, okay, we need this guy to get going. Like we need this guy to get touches. Um, and so I think that's kind of where they have to get. And even if it's in a game where, you know, Caleb, Caleb is going crazy or RJ or Brady, whoever it is that might be going crazy they might have to feel that within the game and be like, okay, we need to run a play that will get Brady an open look or it'll get RJ or Caleb getting downhill, you know, to be able to make a play or something like that. So it's just a matter of, of kind of feeling, you know, feeling each other out. I think too, a lot of people kind of take for granted, you know, Brady and Dawson are brand new to just North Carolina in general. You know, you have, you know, you have some guys that have been there for at least a year, um, but then you throw in two guys who are main players for them into the fold and it's going to take a little bit for them to get used to playing with each other. So um, I think, you know, you've seen it kind of over the season, it's been up and down, but you've seen in certain games, they've figured out ways to play um, the right way with each other. And if they can continue to build on that and get to know each other a little bit on the court, I think they'll, they'll take some strides for sure. Got a couple of light questions to end the podcast today, but I figured you know, go straight to the source, somebody who's been in, been a part of the program with the, with the Jordan brand, the shoe game. Caleb Love says he's got the best shoe game on the team. He's, he's always rocking some kind of variant of the Jordan 11s. Leaky Black's normally wearing the 11s. RJ Davis kind of rotates between Jordans. How did you determine what shoes you would wear at UNC and how much access is there to shoes? <laughs> Man, bro, um, I don't want to close off any opportunities with the Jordan brand, man, for myself. But for us, it was a lot of while we were there. My freshman year, we we could wear pretty much whatever Jordans we wanted to. Um, 
So whether it was retros, Team Jordans, CP3s, whatever it was, um, you know, that's what we were, what, that's what we would wear. And then my sophomore year, I guess Jordan brand kind of wanted us to start pushing like, you know, the team Jordans, the CP threes, kind of that kind of stuff. And so I just always wore the CP threes. Those were the most comfortable, you know, Jordans that, that they had. Um, but honestly in college, man, for me, it was, and even now it was whatever was the most comfortable. Um, I didn't really like high tops. So with CP threes, they were like low to mid tops and then they were super comfortable. So I would have like, I would wear one pair for a while. Um, and then I would just get the same exact shoe again, you know, just a new pair whenever I needed to. So that's kind of how I went about it. I know a lot of guys, you know, like, like you said, Caleb, you know, has, you know, crowned himself the best shoe game. Um, for me, I wasn't even necessarily worried about like, you know, oh man, he's wearing those shoes or he's wearing these shoes. For me, it was like, what are the most comfortable that fit my foot? And, you know, thankfully it's not like they were some ugly shoes. So I still looked all right out there, but that's kind of how I went about with the shoes. I imagine for your teams, it was Theo trying to be the guy who's taking the crown with the, <laughs> with the retros. Theo, man, Theo, he tried, but he always had to wear 11s, man. He always loved 11s. So, uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's one thing when you wear the same, it might be a different variant, but when you wear the same shoe over and over again, I feel like it's tough to crown you the best, yeah. you know, the no, no variety. So, yeah. So we're going to have to see if Caleb can bring a little, little extra flavor to the game. Since it is equipment, how much like access is there? If somebody like Theo who's wearing the 11s is like, you know, I want to wear the cool grays or I want to wear the Concords. Is, is it something where, the school has been pretty good in getting players the the type of shoe that they want, or is it like if you're wearing the 11s, these are the 11s you're going to be wearing, like where you can't just branch off and get like the win like 82s? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, with retros, while I was there at least, I think they've gotten they've gotten a few more um, now. But so when I was there, like you didn't really have like free access to retros. Like it was more of like if if you know if Hoots got y'all a pair, then you would get that. Or, you know, if, if they had an extra pair, then you would get those, but you would have free access to CPs, team Jordans, all that kind of stuff. But the retros were a little harder to come by unless it was like a whole team thing or for, for Theo ended up being to where he had to wear them, you know, because he had those injuries and stuff. Like he had to wear the 11s cause it, it you know, it, it was the most comfortable for his foot. So then they started getting him more, you know, more pairs, but, for everybody else, it was a little harder to get the retros. Um, so, you know, it was kind of, I guess you had to really, if you did wear them in a game, you would have to kind of be smart in how you wore them. So you wouldn't just run them into the ground. <laughs> I would be, I would be way too afraid to wear them out there, but you mentioned um, kind of like the wear and tear that comes with the sneakers. How many pairs would you say you went through in a season? Um, I would probably say three or four pairs. Um, but I think I would also like in practice, so we would have a ton of practices In practice, I would wear like other shoes outside of my game shoes. So, I mean, we played what 40 games each year of my last two years and then 37 or whatever. So yeah, within those 40 games, I probably wore maybe four, four or five different pairs um 
but like I said, like, yeah, I wasn't just switching them, you know, just like, Oh, okay. These got a little scratch on them. I'm going to go get another pair for me. I was wearing them until, you know, until I felt like I needed to go ahead and switch them up. Gives the fans something to think about the next time Carolina takes the court and they start studying the shoe games of, of uh, the players out there, <laughs> but a busy week for Carolina basketball. They're back in action in the Dean dome Saturday against Georgia tech. And then Tuesday they're on the road at Miami, um, a team that they, that Georgia tech gave Carolina a ton of trouble early on and Carolina kind of pulled away. And then Miami, who is in the kind of pole position right now of the ACC standings as crazy as that sounds, but we'll see how North Carolina does. And then we will talk next week about it. Justin, appreciate the time. And hopefully, hopefully the traveling gets a little lighter on your end and it's just, flying with the team or flying home yeah man we'll see we'll see man but always it's a pleasure bro when you have sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen